past. I have never taught this the way I'm going to be teaching it. Uh, did everybody receive one of these, the Systematic Theology 101? Everybody receive one of these? That wants one anyways? Got him up in the balcony? Alrighty. Well, we are going to read a little bit of what is here. And uh, let me give, give a bit of an introduction. We're going to talk about at the latter part of the message tonight about the necessity of theology. And as soon as you use the words like doctrine, theology, people go, thank you so much because I really haven't had much of a nap today. So this sounds really, really dry. And uh, of course, you know, preachers and so forth, they, they thrive on the stuff. It's, it's just like caffeine for them. So, um, so this might be, it might be a little more interesting to me than it is to you. But um, as Paul told the Ephesian elders uh, that to make sure that they teach the whole counsel of God. And so there's a completeness that we need to be instructing as pastors uh, the Word of God. Uh, let, me, let me give some definition here. So systematic theology, and that was the course that I had when it came into the doctrines, and that's why I use this term also, but I define it this way, and you can get out there and find a hundred definitions for systematic theology, but I look at it this way. It's logical order of learning what God has revealed about himself and his creation. Systematic theology is organizing the teachings of the Bible into categorical um, uh, uh, ways or systems. So, we try to do this, for instance, with Discipleship 1. Discipleship 1 is taking a subject and systematically looking sometimes at the Old, but more in the New Testament for D1, and looking at important doctrines about God and for the brand new believer. So it's really fundamental things that people get. But what we're teaching them as a brand new believer is a way to study the Bible. And it's by way of subjects. So it's systematically looking at or seeing the organization of the subject of prayer for a new believer or the importance of the Bible for a new believer. Most of those verses, of course, you all, because you're brainiacs, have all of those verses memorized. You could teach that blindfolded, you know. You don't even need to open your Bible. It's just right there because you're such great students. Okay? So, then you get into the more deep thing. Well, we're getting into some things here that um, are not necessarily for a brand new believer. These are ways that we're going to be processing and thinking just a little bit deeper in the area of doctrines. We have also discipleship too, and we go through how to study the Bible. We're going through that right now. We go through different, different uh, subjects, and that's, that's how we're doing it. We don't do it by starting in Genesis 1-1 and end up in Revelation 22. You know, that's not what we're doing is a chronological, but rather we're looking at subjects concerning our God what did he reveal about himself so that we can get to know him better? And, and so, how important is doctrine? Well, uh, I'm going to make a comment before I read the, the next paragraph. A uh, number of years ago, there was a movement that is, was happening for men. I'm not going to mention which one it was. Uh, they come and go. And so, it was the big hype you know, at that time period, in that decade, you know, just, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were all over it. And it's like, was it a bad thing? I don't know much about it. But when the one guy came to me and said, uh, uh, you know, when we get started in those meetings, one of the first things that this group brags about is that we don't teach doctrine here. We don't care about doctrine. We're here to help people fall in love with Jesus. Okay, there's only one problem with that. Does anybody know what it is? How do you do it without doctrine, right? How are you going to know and fall in love with Jesus? And there has been, again, a movement that has gone away from the absolutes of the Word of God. 
it's almost come to a point where we are seeing in some of the things we're even reading, this is how you may feel about it. How do you feel about God? Well, let me explain to you how I feel. Let's have a group setting and we'll read a verse and then let's tell each other how we feel about this verse. How does it do for you? Well, okay, but your feelings one day versus the next day could be absolute opposite and can we trust our feelings? The answer is, is interpretation of, of the Word of God based on feelings? No. And so we have to learn to systematically understand these doctrines. The other thing that we're seeing happening today is <clears throat> a lot in the Christian realm, and I use that word, Christendom, are now trying to create, if you will, their version of what their God of the Bible is. You say, well, you can't do that. But they are. You know, my God, because he's such a God of love, would never create hell. So hell's just an allegory, okay? And everybody's God's children because God is love. So therefore, since this is who God is, we're all getting to heaven. We're just going a different way. And you might have one God, and I have a God, and I pray, you know, and I meditate, and I om, you know, and I get in touch with nature, and we're all going to the same flowery place someday. Well, guess what? That's not in the Bible. And this, this is what, you know, unsaved people that are walking through these doors have been taught, they have developed it, and it has become, the follow me, their doctrine. It is what they believe in, and I don't care what you tell me the Bible says, if it contradicts what I imagine in my little box, what my God is and how he fits in, then the Bible's wrong because this is how I look at God. Okay. We, as we see the scriptures, uh, Abraham, Moses, we'll talk about some of these briefly. They, as they were given the revelation of God, God didn't, God didn't ask their opinion. Okay? I am that I am. I'm going to reveal to you who I am and my holiness and what one day we will behold. And we can't make this stuff up as we go. I don't care what kind of visions you have had about God. If it doesn't match up with doctrine, which is the teachings drawn from what God said about himself, then our visions of sugar plums dancing in our head are wrong. And it feels good, it seems nice, but as we're going to see in a couple you know, Sundays from now, Sunday night, you know, our God, He's a consuming God. You're not going to hear that preached a lot. Instead, let's, let's get in touch with each other here, and let's read a verse and see how we feel about this. Okay? Well, guess what? 1900s. This is a direct quote from a man, a deep theologian. In the early 1900s, you would have thought that he wrote it today. Everyone must be aware that there is at this present time a great prejudice against doctrine, or as it is oft called, dogma. And I will use that term once in a while in religion a great distrust and dislike of clear, systematic thinking about divine things. Men prefer, one cannot help seeing, to live in a region of haze and indefiniteness in regard to these matters. They want their thinking to be fluid and indefinite, something that can be changed with the times and with the new lights, which they think are being constantly brought to bear upon it, continually taking on new forms and leaving the old behind. Uh, one of the Proverbs, I was going to preach a message on, but I think it was time to, to move from the Proverbs. Um, and yet one of the uh, Proverbs I was going to teach on had to do with do not remove the, um, those foundations, those landmarks that your fathers have created 
two different times it says, don't move the landmarks. And there are things, for instance, could you imagine future Israelites going to those rocks that they pulled out of Jordan when they crossed over, which was a landmark, and say, these don't mean anything, throw them back in the river. You'll be like, what are you doing? God said to put them there to teach future generations. You just ruined the landmark. And I think that there are landmarks in our lives that we have, we have established through the doctrines, the this, this stability, these rocks, that without it, we are on, folks, sinking sand instead of a rock. And doctrine is what we're talking about. Uh, let me define, and it's not in the notes here, uh, maybe I'll put it on next week, but the word doctrine, I like the phrase healthy teachings or good teachings when you think of the word doctrine. A doctrine is drawn directly from the Word of God as we clearly see it, and as we're going to see a verse in a little bit, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, it's precept upon precept, okay? Here a little, there a little. So God keeps adding things. So what you're going to do is you're going to compare this verse with this verse, and then you build this, and before long you see two or three witnesses establishing the exact same thing. You can establish then a doctrine based on that. And, and by the way, is, uh, I, I do have to apologize. Um, I'm going to be flowing with this study, okay? And if I begin to lose you, I'm, I apologize ahead of time. But, but this is Wednesday night, okay? And the preacher's in the teaching mode, okay? So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be flying through some of these things, and you say, I don't know that story, or I don't know what you're talking about, look it up, okay? <laughs> okay, go dig it. Find it, dig in there, okay? And that's what this is about. So I need to get to a level here where I'm able to say, remember this, da, 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 and then here's the point. And so what we're doing is we are taking these things, whether you're talking about creation, whether you're talking about the power of God, one of His abilities, etc., and you are seeing it here, 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 and because it's there multiple times, we're able to take it because it's in the mouth of two and three witnesses. Instead of going to 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, and uh, why are those, you know, why do you baptize uh, the dead if there is no resurrection? And so we're not going to start baptizing for dead people because 1 Corinthians 15 says it because he's not trying to build a doctrine there for you. He's giving a question to you and I concerning if there's no resurrection, why does even the world look at the dead people out there that you would actually baptize here like the Mormons for them if there is no resurrection? He's just building a point. He's not saying let's open up the baptistry for dead people. You know, that's, that's not what he's trying to teach there. And so we have to build these doctrines one upon another. Uh, look at some of these. Proverbs 4.2 tells us, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. By the way, Christians, since God has given us his good doctrine, we are then, as we are going to see in a couple of Wednesdays, can't, or Sundays, can't wait to preach this message, because yeah, I was all ready last Sunday night, and it was communion, and we had to be done early, so i got to let this one brew a little longer. But, folks, we are in this age of grace, okay? And being in this age of grace, comparing ourselves from the Old Testament, don't we have it better and a law of liberty? And how much more responsibilities do we have even than those that were under the law. Because we have a, a freedom to be able to serve God in a fuller capacity. And let's say the same thing. Let's not forsake the law of liberty, the law of Christ, what he is telling and commanding us. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 28. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? The answer, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. You say, what does that mean? Well, when you look at the beginning of that, you understand when we have little babies, and back then they didn't have infamil and all these formulas, 
And so moms actually had to feed the babies the old-fashioned way. And that's the concept of being an infant. So these, talking about the spiritual, the knowledge, receiving the Word of God, the understanding of doctrine, it is for those that are grown up in the Word of God, and you'll remember, as First Peter tells us, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that they may what? Grow thereby. In other words, the milk of the Word helps them, a child, to grow. But later on, he's like, y'all were on milk, and you should have been on meat. You don't give your teenager a meal with milk. Okay? They're going to look at you and say, are you crazy? Like, I'm going to live on milk three times a day? It's not going to happen. That's not going to sustain them. Why should we as Christians, if we've been saved for 10, 15, 20 years or more, still be on the milk and not ready to go deeper? And why can't we? So he is saying these deep doctrines are for those that are not infants any longer. They should be grown up. By the way, the rebuke, if I remember my numbers right, the rebuke that he gave in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3 and saying that they were just so immature, uh, they were about five, six years old as a church. You follow me? Five, six years old as a Christian that just pulled out of deep idolatry and all this garbage ought to be mature enough by then to handle the Word. So if you've been saved for five plus years, folks, you ought to be able to handle the Word a little bit. Okay? You say, preacher, you're being really hard. Well, I've been here for 13 years now. Okay? And we, we, we do need to be able to look at our individual lives and say, okay, I've been receiving it. I'm here on a Wednesday. I'm here Sunday morning, Sunday school, and so forth. And I'm getting all of this. But the question is, what are we doing with it? Is it just for the sake of knowledge? And this is what we're going to try to get into, the necessity of theology. There is a purpose God instructs us who He is so that it will definitely change us. So John 17 says it this way in verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. And so the Father sent the Son to reveal something. And it was the healthy teachings, the good teachings about God the Father. He kept on saying, I'm coming to reveal the Father. And they're like, show us the Father. And it's like, I am here, <laughs> you know. And you should know the Father because you've seen me because the Father and I are one. And all of these great teachings that Jesus Christ gave, uh, by the way, verse, uh, Matthew 22:33 says, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. That's two different times. That phrase, astonished at his doctrine, happened two different times in the book of Matthew. Happened other places too, uh, concerning you know, Abraham you know, and teachings about Abraham and so forth. They're sitting and listening to this stuff, and they're like, Wow. It's like, where did he come up with this stuff? And Jesus is saying, I didn't come up with it. This is exactly from my Father, that as the Son of Man, I'm in front of you teaching you the deepest, most spiritual things that we would ever want to know while here on this earth. When we're in heaven, we won't have to study it. We're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to know, as we're going we're to understand so much, and, and especially about the very character of God. And I really believe this, that I don't care how much we study and how many doctors we have behind our name, it will not be until heaven till we understand it. I don't care how much you know, you can have the whole Bible memorized, but I, don't, but I, I still see it as God revealed himself, but still it is limited because of you and I being limited. We, in our minds, cannot grasp the wholeness of who our God really is. We cannot wrap around our brains of just the sovereignty of God. I can't wrap my brain about my God is eternal. He's always been, 
And you're like, when did he start? Who made him? Nobody. What's he like been doing for all of eternity? I don't know. That's what I wrap my brain around. Just like, you know, you look at the stars and you say, there's no end, there's no end. And God says, look, that's what I made. And it's my creation to show you my power. And as the stars are limitless in number, so am I. That's who I am. And so we get to dig in. We get to find out just, I feel, a scratch of the surface through these 66 books who God is. So that's what we're doing. Romans 16 tells us something, though. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Now notice this, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And what are you supposed to do with them? Avoid them. So when the JWs come knocking on your door, and you say, well, what's wrong with them? They're a wonderful religious bunch. They do nice community service. They're out there helping people and praying for them because they're teaching really, 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 really bad doctrine. Okay? Okay, they're sending people to a place that they don't even think exists. Okay? And it's not good. And so you avoid, you stay clear of, and that's one of my jobs here is to make sure that we are teaching the Word of God, that which we have received from the Word of God. Second John 1 John 1.9, uh, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now let's tear this down a little bit. Whosoever. Just like whosoever shall call upon the name shall be uh, name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, here's a whosoever that person be that does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now he doesn't say the doctrine of the law or the Father. He specifically has Christ in there for a reason as our Messiah. And what he's saying is if you don't follow the doctrine of Christ the Messiah, then you don't, got, don't have God. Because Christ reveals the Father and who God and the Godhead truly is. And if you deny Him, you don't have God. Then he goes on and says, He that abides though in the doctrine of Christ, His healthy teachings, He has both, notice this, the Father and the Son. So we have all of our God inside of us, and we can go to Ephesians and talk about the Spirit of God also, that we have Him inside of us, sealed in the Father's hand, in the Son's hand. There's the security, but a person that goes away from the doctrine of Christ is there. Now, this is what I'm trying to show you. The, uh, the, the, the new term, uh, this day and age, um, uh, pluralism, is, is uh, a term they've come up with. I love the English language. We always like to come up with new words that teach the same thing that we've been talking about for years. Uh, I had a missionary said, hey, you need to watch these videos. I'm like, what's it about? He said, it's on this new subject. I said, what is it? I, I'm pretty sure the term was pluralism. I'm like, oh, what's that? And he goes, well, it comes into, we're finding out, if we go into mission field, the people are actually taking the doctrines that we're teaching about Jesus and just adding them onto the rest of their gods. And I'm like, yeah, they've been doing that for years. They've been doing that since, like, the Old Testament. This is nothing new under the sun, folks. We just put a name and think, oh, I'm really intelligent because I put a name beside it. Um, though most of you know my testimony and what I got saved out of, which was a whole lot of garbage and a lot of idolatry. And there were a lot of, if you will, gods in my life. Some I could see, some were invisible, but I was a person of very deep faith and very deep conviction. I would have died for it. And I would have died and gone to hell for it. And and I believed in this stuff. But when I started hearing the gospel clearly for the first time as a 19-year-old, I remember so vividly the first week I'm going through this, I am taking what the preacher is telling me about the cross and about Jesus 
and I'm having all these visions of what Jesus looked like and so forth, and, I'm, and everything was intellectual. Everything was, was uh, uh, so, so tied together with the Spirit and with what we see and what we know. And, and I'm trying to tie that together with Terry and all of the other witches and warlocks and everybody else I was around and all the condemnation that we were doing and, and the power struggles that we were in and who's the great and I'm looking at all of this and this guy that's been teaching me is basically saying you, you follow me and I'm going to make you a god that's the easy way of saying it and, and I'm looking at this message that this preacher is telling me and I'm pulling it together and I'm like oh well he's just like Jesus the first thing that went into my brain is the people that I've been around are just like Jesus and they just want you to be a disciple and to follow. I'm like, oh, this is the same. It, that, that lasted for like a millisecond until the Spirit of God started working inside of me and saying, are you out of your head? What this man is telling you has nothing to do with the doctrines that you, and we didn't use the word doctrines, but it was their doctrines, their teachings. And I'm realizing, no, this is something different. And I knew right away, as I was trying to do, was merge everything that I had learned and known and tied it together with what I was now uh, being taught. And it was not long until I realized the doctrine of Christ is different than the doctrine of the world. And a person that brings the doctrine of the world and says it's the same as Jesus is not saved. They're not a full Christian following Christ as the one. He's not following the doctrine of Christ. He is bringing together all of these different beliefs. Folks, we in Christianity have to wake up and realize this is what we're starting to do. We have thrown doctrine over here in the corner like it's this old pile of, of dirt that we don't even need anymore. And let's just develop, what do you feel now about God? How do you imagine Him now? And you're starting this whole uh, sensitivity, um, being intuitive with how do you feel What's your instincts about God? How, how do you bring it together? Folks, it is not for ours to create. It is for us to learn what He has taught us, which again is just a scratch of the surface of the depth of who our God is. When He gets into that in Romans, it's just like, you know, He's getting into Romans uh, 9, and then He concludes this like, oh, in chapter 8. He concludes like, wow. I mean, how can you pull this together? Paul gives us testimony in 1 Timothy 1. And at the end of that, he goes, Under the God, invisible, immortal, the only wise God, to whom be glory forever and ever. He just breaks forth into worship. And that's what doctrine does. When you really get to know Him, you cry. You begin to worship like you never have. And it has nothing to do with the band was really cold today. It had nothing to do with, we really rocked the house today. We had a great time. It had nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, music is very limited in the New Testament to draw us to the place of worship. The drawing of worship is based on doctrine. And if the, if the worship is based on feeling and not on doctrine, that's dangerous. Uh, uh, where am I at? Second Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for, here it is, doctrine. So we get the doctrine directly from the inspired word of God. It is for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And, you know, we're going to get into the bibliology, and this is a really classic place to just bring this up in case you're not here for that one. There's a lot of question about the word of God and, and how... Uh, definitive it can be in our lives and, and is it accurate is it real there's so many translations there's one a new one every year and you know what are we doing with all of this you know it's really cool when paul refers in that text to timothy as a young child receiving the word of god from mom and grandma 
He says, the word that you received from mom and grandma was the inspired word of God. Do you think Timothy's mom and dad had the original manuscripts? Are you following me? They had some scribe, somebody wrote it down, and they had the Old Testament written down from somebody else, and yet Paul said, that is inspired. It's been preserved, folks. And with authority, we can say that we have God's preserved Word in our laps, that we go into it without question. It is the authority over us. It is not our authority over the Word. And that will change your life if you get that one down, because I've been under a lot of teachers, and all they did was beat up the Word of God and say, this is a horrible translation, and this should never be in there, and this wasn't in the original manuscripts. And I'm like, the original manuscripts? The original manuscripts? Nobody has the original manuscripts. How can you say it wasn't in the original manuscripts when there are no original manuscripts? And you have a doctorate behind your name, and I can figure that one out, and I don't have a degree. This is not that hard. And yet to have a following to criticize and tear it apart, we give these terms. Give me a break. So the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works, so God wants us to mature in him. So the nature of theology, number one. A. The term theology is derived from two words. Theo, or theos, meaning God. Logos, meaning word or discourse. So therefore, theology is the study of the doctrine of God, or who God is. So it's a specific looking at God and his characteristics and, and learning about him. Here again, I'm going to say this a thousand times probably, but you've got to remember, it is, not, it is not we finding out on our own how we feel God is. It is God through direct, general, as well as special revelation giving to the world who he is. God used his word to reveal himself. One of the primary purposes of the word of God is not to make you feel warm and fuzzy in your tribulation. Okay, It does that. But the primary purpose of the word of God is to reveal who he is and all that he has created and our then responsibility to our creator. Now the necessity of theology... Doing good, time-wise. The necessity of theology, number one, or letter A. To understand what God has revealed about himself to mankind. Genesis, uh, Exodus. Um, look with me to Genesis a couple minutes. I'm sure over this next weekend we're going to hear that word a lot probably since we've got the creation conference coming up. This is God and the covenant that he is making with Abram. And this is the text where he changes his name to Abraham, giving him the promises um, of being the father, not just of the nation of Israel, but to many nations. Now you remember, the New Testament reveals why God says that he's the father of many nations. Because if you and I, by faith, believe in God of the Old Testament, New Testament, the God of Abraham, then we are the children of Abraham by faith. So you don't have to be a Jew to be a, to be a child, if you will, of Abraham, because that's what the Jews believe. It's like, well, we're the, we, we are the ones. Well, no, well, so are we by faith. Now, verse 1, so you see the, the importance of this text here. When Abraham was 90 years old and 9... The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, now notice this, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Period. Okay? Then he goes on and explains, I'm going to make a covenant, I'm going to do all these things. But he had to remind him that he is the almighty God. Now we would flow through that. What did God just do for Abraham? He revealed who he is. Now that phrase, 
as we would see it, I am, and we're going to see that more detailed down the road, but the Almighty. Well, what does Almighty mean? Why is that important to God? Put Almighty in this text. You're just talking to an individual man. What does Almighty mean? We sing it. We use the term. I hear it. All-powerful. Okay? So our God is not limited in power. And he's coming to one man and says, I am the almighty God. In the beginning, God, Elohim. The plurality name for God. He's saying, I am the all-powerful Elohim. So you listen to me and do exactly what I'm telling you to do. And Abraham's like, yes, sir. And he comes to him and says, because I am the almighty God, he's only been waiting like 99 years to have a baby. So since God's like the almighty God, he can do because there's no limit in his power. He can take an old man that should be thinking about, you know, really retirement and death. Instead, and his wife, who has never had a baby in her old age, and he's saying, guess what? I'm the Almighty God, and you are going to be not the father of a child, but you're going to be the father of many nations. So not only am I going to take you and your wife and have a child, but I'm going to show you the posterity that your son is also going to get married, and he's going to have children. And nobody's going to wipe him out. Because they're going to have children, and they're going to become a nation. Which doesn't happen until when? I'm sorry? There you go. Exodus. So they got to wait the whole way till Moses' day, until they really become a nation, and are pulled out of the world, Egypt, and go out to possess the land that, guess who God promised? Abraham. So Abraham's getting all these promises, and anything he has to go by is one thing. God's saying, I'm the Almighty God. That's all he has to go by. I'm going to do all of these things. Look with me to the Exodus, chapter number 3. This is when God is revealing himself to the next leader we see, and that's Exodus chapter 3, which is Moses. And so uh, the angel Lord's part of this all, and those of you know, that, you know a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, Moses, you know, he's talked to by God, and in the latter part of verse 4, Moses says, here am I, you know, I'm available. And uh, verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And all that God says is, I am God. And an immediate fear came into him that he could not even look upon God. Then he begins to call Moses, and Moses comes up with his excuses. Who am I to do this? I don't know, there's better people qualified to do it than I am, right? And we, we've all used those excuses, and of course, God takes care of all those excuses. I want to pick up in uh, verse 12, and he said, certainly, this is God saying this, I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses said unto God, Behold, I am come unto the children of Israel, and they're going to say it, and, and they shall say unto them, and south say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, Well, what is, now notice this, his name. Now here is a people that have been established, that have been living in Egypt, that don't even know the name of their God. There's like no identity. Oh, God sent you. What, who is it? What, what's his name? And God says, I'm going to tell you what your name is, my name is. What am I going to say? And God said in verse 14, if you don't have this one memorized or highlighted, you should. And God said unto them, unto Moses, excuse me, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. 
that phrase, I am, is that thought of Jehovah, which is the name of the God of Israel. It identifies Israel and their God through that name. It's that connection. You'll see it very little translated Jehovah a couple times in the Old Testament, but you'll see it um, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, same. And so it is Jehovah. God has a name, and he has a name on purpose. The phrase or Jehovah means the self-existing one. So you tell Israel, I'm their God. I don't need to plug in at night. I don't need to get any kind of a power source. I don't need food and water. I don't even need encouraged. I am. And there is none besides me. You just go home to them and say, he's here. And he's about to visit his people. And he's about to give them a deliverance. And what they're going to do is they're going to leave and they're going to be able to serve me. That's why God wanted Israel out of Egypt. Was so that they could serve God. Because while they were in the world, while they were in Egypt, they could not serve God to the fullest capacity because they were limited by the structures that they had over top of them. The slavery, the bondage, absolutely. But even before that, while they were still multiplying, you know, even before the Pharaoh, they weren't freed to serve. They were just surrounded with the gods of, of Egypt and the frogs and all the other things that they loved to, to, to worship and believed in. Yeah, by the way, they were pantheists. They thought creation was God. Okay, so here's some frogs and there's God. <laughs> they crack you up. You imagine holding hold that frog. I love you. I worship you. And you are an awesome thing. Please do something good for me. Those who are listening to the message will have no idea what I just did right there. But I just kissed a frog, mimicking kissing a frog and worshiping a frog and then letting the frog go. Uh, yeah. God says, I am jealous and I will have no other gods before me, period. Okay. So we got to understand these things. To uh, Letter B, to develop, and i got to move now, to develop the mind of... For God, First Corinthians two sixteen, the latter part. We got to save some time uh, in that text. You should know it because I preached this like a thousand times in D one, D two on Sundays or Wednesdays. You say I don't know it yet. Then you go home and study it. There is no text clearer on the importance of understanding and knowing the Word of God than First Corinthians chapter two. We get stuck on the one verse that says and. Uh, uh, we, uh, where, where it talks about uh, eye is not seen or ear heard, the things that God's prepared for them to love Him. Okay, but we stop there and we think, oh yeah, God's made this beautiful heaven, and we can't wait to see what you know. We haven't seen it yet, and nothing to do with that. The next verse says, but God has revealed them unto us. It's nothing that's hidden from us now. That which was a mystery is totally revealed to you and I. It is the great mysteries of our God that he has now given to you and I, the New Testament church, and he's given us the mind of God, which is the spirit of God, so we can understand the deep things of God. And the conclusion is, and we have the mind of Christ. We, you, you have the mind of Christ. And you maybe didn't know that. We have it right here. The Word of God, and as we study it, we have the mind of Christ. So we can actually know how God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would act, react, how we should be in our life, because the mind should be developing to be like God and to work for Him. Uh, letter C is to come back to philosophy and religion of the world. Uh, Titus 1 9. Mark, now you know why I asked you to be a little shorter tonight. So we got. I'm going to finish this up tonight and still get you out. Titus 1.9. Uh, Titus, in the beginning of this, is talking about the pastor 
and, and qualifications, again, just like he does in 1 Timothy 3. In chapter 1, he goes through the matter of a bishop, elder, synonymous. And in, in verse number 8, for instance, lover of the hospitality, lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word. Now notice this in verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word, don't depart from it, as he has been taught. So what I'm teaching you, and I, in, in a lot of ways I wish a lot of younger people were here to get the doctrine down that you've been taught it, you do the same thing when it's your turn. Because I'm going to be dead someday, or the Lord's going to return possibly, but uh, I'm going to be dead and somebody else is going to have to take over. So don't teach what Carl taught, teach the Bible like Carl taught. You follow me? That he may be able, here it is, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince or convict those who are gainsayers or in it for self uh, reasons, selfish reasons. Uh, you know, they're trying to develop their own ideas. Well, well the, the preacher ought to know the Word of God well enough to look at them saying, Are you crazy? This is what the Bible says. And to be able to bring the Word of God on the situation to give light where there's darkness. And so we, as Christians, ought to be able to do the same thing. So um, I first got saved, and the preachers are up there yelling and screaming about being soul winners. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a soul winner. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to start winning souls. So I figure I might as well start my own household. So I'm preaching to everybody, telling everybody they're going to hell, you know, and they need to get saved. So I'm going through all this. And I went to an aunt. (laughs) And uh, she happened to be a JW. So I sit down with my aunt, who is a JW, and I start talking to her about Jesus. How long do you think it took until I was confused? And I started realizing, I have no idea what I'm talking about. It's time to get into the Word and start memorizing some verses. So that's what drove me to it, the memorization. So I started getting my three to five cards at my work site. You know, I was able to use the undercut saw and not cut my fingers off or my thumb off and memorize some verses and put it on your steering wheel and every place I'm going through and memorizing these verses so that I could equip myself with the knowledge so that I can take those who are against or teaching contrary to the Word of God and show them what the Word of God says because it's not because I say it, it's because the Bible says it. That's what we want to be able to do. So we have to deal, and we're, we're battling with the philosophies. You know, there are a lot of religions that are growing like crazy, folks, and uh, it's not Baptist, okay? So if we're the ones that are saying and claiming, we're holding the corner of truth, you know, we know the Bible, we know the doctrine, well, what are we doing with it? Or could it be that we don't know the Bible quite as well as we think we do, and we're not equipped to teach. We feel inferior to. Well, that's my job, is to equip you so that you are not inferior. And you don't say, well, my preacher said, I want you saying that. <laughs> don't quote Carl. You quote the Bible. Okay? And you say, this is what the Bible says. Okay? Um, the third thing, let us see, to prepare the Christian for this world and the world to come. Okay? So we got a lot going on in this world. How do we act? How do we live? Well, if we get to know who God is, that's why, by the way, I took the time in 1 Corinthians 4, all about the love of God. If we don't understand God and his love for us, then we're going to walk around with a bunch of fears and phobias through life. So the knowledge of the love of God, that doctrine alone, dissipates, takes those fears, and just repels them, takes them from us, and so we have to understand God in this world. But it also, when we get to know God, it helps us to know what are we looking forward to in heaven the world to come. And so the doctrine helps with that too. To develop the Christian, last point, uh, Christian character and service. So the more we know about him, we're going to serve him. Now remember, God said to Moses, get, get Israel out of Egypt, that they may serve me and that they worship, can worship me. Those are the two th- purposes that they were to come out. Now, when they came out, God indoctrinated them. That's 
Mount, right? So he goes up the Mount Zion, gets, gets the law and, and, and such, and, and we're able to go and teach the people. So he got the doctrine, but the doctrine began with the powerful thoughts of who God is. And there's no other gods. You don't make an image out of me. Those type of things. And so he's revealing to them right away himself so that they will be able to serve him and to worship him. Without the knowledge of God, I think our worship and our service is going to be at best weak. Um, folks, we have people dropping like flies. Okay? Not we, but around missionaries and preachers, and the list goes on. And you stop and you say, what happened? How could they have been so on, seemingly on fire for God one minute, doing all these things, and then the next thing you find out is they're in bed with another woman, okay, not their wife. You stop and you say, what happened here? Could it be they didn't learn Christ? The convictions of who God is and, and the fear of Him and an understanding of His character of not just this world but what is going to come in the, in the, in the time when we, we have to stand before and give an account of our own lives. And it's like all those doctrines, they know just, well, let's put them over. And we go do our own things. Is it apostasy? I don't know, I know what's going on. But all that I know is one thing. My job is to teach my people. Okay, and you may say, well, I had enough of that doctrine thing, I won't be back next week, and that's okay. It might be my wife and I here next week. She has to come. She's the preacher's wife. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be, we're gonna be di digging into some verses, and we're going to be seeing some concepts and, uh, about our God, and, and it's going to get to know Him. So we're going to be studying theology, uh, bibliology, the Christology, uh, the hamartiology, the soteriology, the eschatology uh, might get into uh, ecclesiology. I'm not sure whatever we're going to get into. We're going to, you know, whateverology I come up with. Okay, so we're going to we're going to get into some good ones. Okay, so I hope you can, hope you're willing to come back for more. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.